the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around all your favorite leagues and teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. Happy Monday morning. My name is Mike Chinetti. Busy sports weekend. Got to talk basketball. Back end of the show, Scott Allen joins the show to break down Chris Paul's Phoenix Suns and the departed Jokers Denver Nuggets. What's to become of the Nuggets this offseason? Some possible trade candidates possible. Who fits? Who doesn't fit? Who's coming back? Who's already under contract? Same conversation with the Suns, to be honest, because Chris Paul does have a gigantic player option, which we're starting to hear he probably opts out of. So Scott's got the information and the numbers on that. Really interesting, good stuff by that. Also, a quick hit on the Nets. And if if Blake Griffin can really be that number two man, what does that mean for, for the Nets with Kyrie's latest injury? And what's to become of them finishing off this season with Milwaukee? But first... I got to spend the NFL here because this Le'Veon Bell stuff just piqued my interest, got me down a couple of rabbit holes, got me back into his financial conversation, which I didn't think I needed to be. I thought that was kind of over and done. He remains unsigned. I'm sure he's frustrated about that. I'm sure he's also frustrated about this. I uh, spent some time on a Monday morning cup of coffee, kind of re- reliving the last three years of Le'Veon Bell's life financially speaking, because it's not too long ago that Pittsburgh had slapped that franchise tag on him, 14.5 million. And we were starting to hear, you know, through the grapevines that he was not going to accept that, that he wanted a long-term deal. Great. Then we started to hear details about that long-term extension being offered to him from Pittsburgh. Full disclosure, many of you know now, Pittsburgh doesn't guarantee salaries. They give you nice size signing bonuses, Sometimes there's roster bonuses that'll kick in in March. Roethlisberger had that for many, many years. Part of his restructure this year as well. So, you know, you're not going to get 20, you know, second and third year salaries fully guaranteed at signing with Pittsburgh. Just not how they operate. They are a rolling guarantee contract structure team. So you're going to get a sizable upfront bonus, fully guaranteed, of course. You'll have a chance to get a roster bonus fully guaranteed maybe in year two. And then if you're on the roster in March, that second year, third year salaries can become guaranteed for that upcoming season. That's their, their strategy. I'm, I'm positive that, you know, the, the Drew Rosenhouses of the world and, and Le'Veon's agents and many of these agents that have come through with, with extension candidates through Pittsburgh don't like this process. I'm sure that they would much rather have, you know, 50, you know, 50% of the contract fully guaranteed at signing, including base salaries, but that's just not how, what you're dealing with in Pittsburgh. The deals of Le'Veon Bell's extension as leaked to CBS Sports. Here we go. It was a three-year, $45 million extension. Okay. It was $20.5 million fully guaranteed up front. Now, again, that's probably all signing bonus. Maybe it's all signing bonus, some roster bonus. You know, we don't have those kind of details, but it's over $20 million guaranteed back in 2018 on the extension, which is $6 million more than the franchise tag that, that they had slapped on him. That's a sizable jump up. That's not, we'll, we'll, we'll sweeten the pot a little bit. 
It is, we want you here for the next two years. We want to have some cap flexibility. We're willing to pay you $6 million more in cash to make that happen. Okay? That's not where the story ends. If he was on the roster in March of 2019, the second year of that extension, another $12.5 million would have locked in. Now we're at $33 million over two years. It's a two-year, $33 million extension, okay? With the third year at $12 million, non-guaranteed. So essentially, you're signing the paper. You're practically guaranteeing yourself $33 million over the next two years. Keep that in mind as I continue down the road here. Let's go back to that franchise tag, which he turned down. $14.5 million the first year. Let's say he had signed it. And let's say he played out 2018 on that tag. Now we get to March or February of 2019. Most likely, they'd be slapping a second franchise tag on him if he was still the player that they, you know, that they wanted him to be, which for all intents, he really wasn't showing slowdown at that point. You know, he was a preeminent free agent when he opted out, all those good things. So let's just assume the second franchise tag, which is, you know, how many of these businesses operate anyway. That second tag, 120% of the first tag, would have been $17.45 million, totaling just under $32 million over two years, 2018 and 2019. So about a, a little over a million less than the extension offered at three years, 45, $33 million practically guaranteed for two years. So Pittsburgh did everything right here. They did all their charting. They did all their metrics, all their analysis. That $33 million over two is exactly the right number to offer. That's exactly how to structure that contract. He turned it down. He turned down the franchise tag. He turned down the extension. So he's now left a maximum of $33 million over two years off the table. What did he go and sign? He went and signed with the Jets on four years, $52 million-ish. Locked himself into 14.9. Now, now, by the way, 2018's gone. Zero dollars earned in 2018. He held out the entire year, did not take that franchise tag, did not take that extension. So zero dollars in 2018. So now we're in 2019. He earns himself 14.9 million with the Jets, part of the full of guarantees. He comes back in 2020, which is fully guaranteed at the, at the time of signing, and he earns 13 million on base salary and roster bonus and per game actives. But he is released in October. <laughs> so in a year that's already fully guaranteed, he can't even finish the season with that with a, with a bad Jets team. He's released in October. The salary and the bonus are his. That's all full guaranteed. He, he, he walks away with that. He goes and signs for the Chiefs on a, Chiefs on a prorated end-of-year contract, finishes with Kansas City, and earns himself about $716,000 for, you know, minimum playing time, which... That's why he's back in the news. He's pissed off at his role, his lack of production, his lack of playing time on a Chiefs team that was spreading the ball around, as most teams are doing this year or these time, these days. So in total, 2018, 2019, 2020, across two teams, Le'Veon Bell earned $28.6 million. So that's what betting on himself did. It shaved off almost five million dollars of potential earnings had he just double franchise tagged single franchise tagged then extended or just taken that Steelers offer right out of the gate 
That's what he did. He bet on himself in a position where that's just not prudent anymore. And here's the other thing he did. So yes, the running back situation has been devalued. I'm not breaking news there. But there's also been a, a, a thick line, sharpied line drawn at, in terms of age now. So by missing 2018, by holding out on 2018, that was his age 26 year, which means when he got to the Jets in 2019, he was 27 years old. That's the number. Okay, That's the number that almost, almost all of these other franchises are saying, we're just not doing it. We're not going big money extension guarantee at, you know, after that age. So even if he had taken that Steelers offer, three-year, $45 million extension, the two years built in of guarantees, you know, and then let's say they cut him in 2020. He's 20, he's going to be 28 years old in 2020, last year playing out. He was going to get released out of that contract or maybe even extended to, to work with the cap, you know, if, if Pittsburgh and Le'Veon wanted to stick together. But most likely, he was going to be removed out of that contract after 2019. But now, after two years of playing, two years of running, or a year and a half of playing, really, now he's 29. Now he's 29 looking for work. And there's just not going to be a more than minimum contract out there, as we've seen. You know, you can be Frank Gore or you can be really nothing right now in this league at that age. It's just how it goes. I'm not promoting it. I'm not rooting for it. But betting on yourself in a situation where there is such a thick line drawn with age, with with dollar signs, with devaluation, with the it's just all right there in front of you. And there's just no question he took the wrong choice. He went to a bad team. So not only was he going going to play for the money, but he was going. But winning was not a part of this at all. He was leaving a, a winning franchise. He was leaning, leaving a contender who had made a viable offer, okay, for a situation where the guaranteed dollars, the practical guarantees, were better. They were better. Now he was going to get released out of that Jets contract after two years, also, okay, because he was 29 years old because his guarantees had fallen off. They were rolling guarantees after that, just like they would have been in Pittsburgh. So to forfeit that 28th season, yeah, he lost a lot of money, but he also lost that year of football. He lost the age 26 year of football, which couldn't be more important to a running back. It just couldn't be. I think he did everything wrong. And I feel bad for the guy that he's out of work right now. And I, I don't know why he's saying what he's saying about Kansas City and Andy Reid. But if you're looking for work and you're tell, you're out there saying that the one of the best teams, no, the best team in football is just not for you and you'll never step foot back there, that's not a great situation for you and your agent to be going looking for work. It's not a, it's not a great way to promote your yourself uh, at age 29 going on 30. So I, that one really irked me because this guy made some bad choices. There's no question about it. And for for, for those of you out there, kind of rooting for players to bet on themselves and put themselves in the best situation, financially speaking, of course, that's, you know, that's part of this, this gig. That's part of it. This is a business as much as it's a game. And for players that don't get the chance to cash in on three gigantic contracts, you know, if you're a quarterback or a defensive end, I get it. It's kind of a tough road. And, and these careers are six, seven years now. I mean, if you're playing 10 years in this league, you have done something remarkably right. 
There's no question about it. I just don't think Le'Veon Bell had a had a, a box to stand on here. And I think he tried. He tried to be sort of the ringleader for this whole process. But the numbers just don't lie, all right? The, the age numbers and the money numbers. The offer that the Pittsburgh Steelers made was spot on perfect. And he had a chance to earn himself $45 million over three years on a team that was ready to compete every single year. In 18, 19, 20, that Pittsburgh team was good enough. I mean, you, they had phenomenal drafts in, at the wide receiver position. They had an offensive line that was banged up but continued to, to, to do good things. They made a phenomenal trade for Micah Fitzpatrick, which we all laughed at for three seconds until we realized it was brilliant. They just did a lot of things the right way. And I think my point here is they did this right as well. They did this correct as well. And I understand that, that Le'Veon wanted more, that more money guaranteed up front, and he thought he had that with the Jets because he was assuming the three years. He was assuming he was going to get that third year out of the New York Jets, which would have made him, <laughs> here's the funny part, 39, you know, $40 million over three years. Remember what that extension was? It was three for 45. Remember what two franchise tags was? It's 33 million, 32 million, excuse me. So, you know, going out and trying to find greener grass with better structure isn't always the best approach. Sometimes stick, sticking home and trusting the process that's been put in front of you and the offer that's been put in front of you really is the best way forward. And I think that, you know, money aside, Le'Veon had a chance to live a little bit of a legacy here as the best, boy, Franco Harris, I apologize, but maybe the most accomplished running back in Pittsburgh history. You know, what would have been over the past three seasons if he had stuck this out, taken that extension, and kind of kept that train rolling? You know, would Antonio Brown have gone bonkers and run himself out of town? You know, who knows? Who knows what the replications would have been or how things might have looked differently in Pittsburgh had this single entity worked out. This was such a big part of their offense from a passing and a running perspective. And, you know, I'm not going to call it selfish. I think it's called betting on yourself and taking a chance. And like I said, putting a, trying to put a flag in the moon for a position that certainly needed it. And it didn't work out. And financially speaking, from a numbers game, he, he lost at least – five, four and a half million dollars here in doing what he did. And I'm sure that's got a sour taste in his mouth and who knows if we can find work this year, but that's certainly the plan going forward here. Enough about Le'Veon Bell. Let's talk some basketball with Scott. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre and post draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right, time for some basketball. Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy Monday. Happy Phoenix Suns in four Monday. I, uh, this is your team. You have actual <laughs> dollar bills on this team. You've had it for a while. I don't know if you expected them to get this far. I know I don't know how much faith you had in that gamble when you made it. I think it was just kind of playing the odds, which is good money, good bet, good betting. That was pretty damn convincing. That was Chris Paul putting a team on his back 
in a uh, in an elimination game and saying, nope, not today. Can he do this again? I don't even care which team they're facing. Let's just assume it's either or in terms of, you know, the Utah series. Can he do this again? Or is there just not enough depth on the, that team to really get to the finals? No, I think he could do it again. Yeah. Look, yeah. You know, he, you know who's healthy. impressed me the most, Scott, is Aiden. He's yes, playing and he has, he's shown flashes of get the hell out of my way. I'm ready. Um, even more so to me than Booker. Booker's a, a real nice scorer, but I don't think he's a take a game over type guy. He's he's a take a, you know, he, he can put up the stats. I'm, I'm not discounting who he is as an offensive player, but there are times when you can, it's almost like a calculated coaching move with Aiden Scott, where you can see Monty sitting on the sidelines saying, all right, where, what's the right time to drop the Aiden the bomb into this game? and just let him dominate a paint. It, I love it. I, I love that they're not overusing him, you know, not, not really wasting him or putting him in situations where he can set up to fail. I, I think this team is incredibly well coached, like uh, incredibly well coached. And that's not just Monty. That's part of Chris Paul's. That's part of what his job is right now, right? Absolutely. And this is why they made the trade yeah. for him because they had – stunk for so long and had all of these rookie contracts and you know everyone was saying booker needs to go to another team he needs to go somewhere else and and get off of that sun's team oh yeah we were definitely getting there that's kind of the dame conversation right like this guy can do it he's just not doing it here exactly but the fact that they had all these these kids on rookie contracts and you know it it's sort of The they needed a grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> they did. It 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 is the uh veteran experience that the reason LeBron likes who he brings to the roster because he knows championships win with experience and a superstar. And Chris Paul was that superstar to get the Suns over that hump, and it, it's making Aiton better. It's making Booker better. They made some free agent oh, acquisitions. The Bridges stuff. With, it's all uh, so it, fun. They, they bring in Crowder, Sarich. You've got the Bridges kid. Yeah. You know, it, they made these moves. And Scott, wasn't Bridges the kid who was drafted by Philly? And it was awesome because his mom worked for the 76ers. But then like a, a minute and a half later, he was flipped to Phoenix. Isn't that the kid? Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Good yep. to see he's, yeah, he's working and, and out. He, yeah, he, he was a number 10 overall pick. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that's working out. Uh, but moving forward, their, their roster is well-rounded. You have a mix of the free agent acquisitions, the trade, the, the homegrown kids, and you know you have your other role players that you had signed on uh, minimum contracts. But as a whole – You know, this is a team that when I look at the roster building that we talk about, this is they do have depth. It's just who is going to fit in where. But then you have your main pieces to move forward. You know, it's sort of like the Toronto Raptors. They were deep when they won, but they made the acquisition of Kawhi Leonard. They had Van Vliet. They had Lowry. They had Siakam. So if you can find a team that is well-rounded, that can gel – that's your success in so, the NBA. I'm glad you brought up Toronto. Um, you know, not the best comparison pound for pound, but to, to focus more on Chris Paul here, Kyle Lowry is a little mini version of that. He's 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 underrated in terms of 
team management, game management, and, and this point, which like the broadcasters like to have fun with Chris Paul in this, but I, I don't think people are making enough of this. Chris Paul has brought back two-point shooting. Chris Paul has made going to an elbow, stepping in two feet, finding actual space, because guess what? Everybody's guarding the perimeter. Nobody's guarding those wings. Nobody's guarding those little, you know, 15 footers anymore. That's just not where defenses play. So Chris Paul's just finding the space, stepping in, making a quick yes. jab to the left and hitting his shot. Nobody's doing that because the analytics say it's not worth it. It's not worth it to step in those two feet. It's wor- it's more worth it to miss three threes, to make two threes than it is to step in and do what he's done. And it's not like he's scoring 45 a game. So he's not carrying them, statistically speaking. But the fact that he's doing that, the fact that he is consistently driving and dishing or driving and pulling up to for twos is showing the other guys in, on the floor that it's okay to do that. So you don't just have a bunch of kids sitting behind the three-point line waiting for their chance to shoot and miss, you know, seven out of ten times. Yes. They are looking to create space. They are moving without the ball because he's doing it, because the old guy's doing it. So he's enabling them to do things that the normal NBA team isn't doing right now. And I just think that's the difference. He's making two-pointers cool again. And the broadcast alluded to this at the end of the game when he he made a step to the right and drove to do a layup, and they made a point that Chris Paul specifically has taught himself to see this because the league has expanded and made the space to the three pointer that he is going to drive because it's, it's open and it's a gap and he's going against the grain of what the league is currently doing. And you got to give him kudos because what he is doing is going to translate to these other younger kids. They're seeing how to read the floor in a different way, as opposed to, what the the rest of the league is saying analytics yeah. is telling them that they have. I mean, to you can see it with the bucks and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because there's plenty of ball to be played left in that series, but that's exactly why Giannis is what he is right now. Everyone else on his team sits back in Jack's threes. So to go against that is almost, it, it, it's awkward for him, even though I'm sure that's what coaches are telling him and, and everybody is telling him, Hey, you gotta be, the big man on the floor here, you know, we, we just don't need you out there tossing up long shots. It's just in a natural flow of a game, any sport you play, you know, we've, we've been in soccer, we've been in baseball. You're just going, it's like following traffic on a highway. (laughs) If everybody's going 85 and you're trying to go 67, you're a moron, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get pushed around. It's just how, you know, humanity kind of works. So, to go against what everybody else is doing is just not second nature. So to have your leader who's got the ball in his hands as well, doing things a little differently, it's just, it's, there's a trickle down effect to it. And I think that's, what's made the Suns better and different in the past year and a half. You know, that's why they looked like they did leading up to that bubble last year. And it's translated over to look, we can have a whole season that looks like this doesn't have to be just jack them up and, and try to grab a long offensive board. There's a little bit more flow to their game, and it's the moving without the ball. It's what made the Warriors successful for all those years. Yep. And this team on a younger, simpler level is doing a lot of that too. Yeah, completely agree with that because you, you watch the Nets and the Milwaukee series more so yesterday. They, they were bringing the ball down and just shooting a three yeah. after having – The Bucks are hard seconds. to watch. 
after three seconds of the sh shot clock going down, they're they're shooting a three. They're not even moving the ball around to right. try to create that space. Whereas with Phoenix, they're moving the ball. They're they're creating the space. You know, and from a psychological standpoint, this is huge for Chris Paul because if I remember correctly, he has not made it out of the second round ever until yeah. yesterday. So from a mental standpoint, moving forward, this has to be a huge lift off of his, uh, you know, an elephant off his shoulders being able to get over that hump and get into the conference finals. Here. All right. Before we get to Denver quickly and they're, they're off season mode. Now Chris Paul's entering an expiring contract next year. It's a player option. It's 44.2 million Scott. Yeah. And he's going to be 36 years old. You know, common sense says, Oh, he's absolutely going to take that because who knows what's, you know, what his future holds. And that's a ridiculous amount of money you're hearing otherwise, correct? Yeah, I've heard that there's a chance that he will opt out of that, which is, you know, his 35% max is at 39 right now, according to the $112 million projection that we're, we're hearing. So that could go up. If that goes up, then, you know, it, it may be a wash if it can get up closer well, to that let, Let's talk about the options because... For the most part, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't done a deep dive yet on this. This roster is intact, right? I mean, you mentioned there's a lot of kids still on rookie contracts. You know, yeah, for what's, the most part, what's with the Crowders of the world? Are all are, are those pieces one and dones? Are, are they going to have to be re-signed to, to stick around? Or, you know, how, how does the, the depth on this roster look in 2021? Yeah, outside of Chris Paul's player option, Booker's locked up and including the 2021 season. He's got two years after that. Aiton. Uh, he is locked up for next year. He is going to be one that can be extension eligible this off season. Seems so a no brainer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So he, he seems like he's going to be locked up for the foreseeable future. Uh, Crowder, he has next year plus one more year. Nice. Sarich has next year plus one more year. Then you got Bridges, Jalen Smith, Cameron Johnson. Those guys are all wow. on rookie contracts that are guaranteed next year. And uh, Javon Carter, he has he is locked up. All the cap holds, if you go to the 2021-22 season for the Phoenix Suns next year, all their cap holds are minimum cap holds because those are guys that they signed either during the season yeah, just or just 10 day guys. Kaminsky's kind of a big name. That's a that's some center depth, but you can find center depth in free agency if you need to. But yes, but he that is a player that has gone away, did not succeed, and came back to the Phoenix Suns and has helped throughout that season. It's sort of like a Serge Ibaka when he left Toronto, didn't do so well, and went back to Toronto, and he had just has succeeded there. You know, but they they the roster is looking very well. Yeah. The Chris Paul player option. You know, if he accepts it, then 44-2 continues to stay on the books. So uh, let's make that opts. option number one. Let's say he does opt in. Is it is it too big of a number? Uh, I mean, we, we just kind of went it down. Most of the pieces, 90% of the pieces are back. And they have, I believe, I'm looking correctly, they've got uh, both exceptions available to them. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Which is a huge deal in free agency. Uh, it is, especially that the Jay Crowder deal from last year, that was using the uh, non-taxpayer mid-level exception. Right. So that if they can use that non-taxpayer mid-level exception again, you know, they may not want to go in the route of that 
biannual because then it'll automatically lock them in yeah. to a, a hard cap situation. Right now, that they they have the space, you know, their luxury tax base is uh, projected around eleven seven right now, so they they do have some space, but um, meaning they can afford his option, Chris Paul, to get back to him. Oh yeah, because this is including yeah his player option already being accepted right now. So in the event that he opts in, you know, they can, I mean, simplistically, simplistically looking at it, Scott, they just need to add three, basically minimum, you know, vet minimum guys or, or or draft picks. And they'll have a complete 12 man roster with basically the entire roster we're seeing on the court right now under contract, under the luxury tax threshold. Correct. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's probably option A. That's probably option not a. what's yep. going to happen, though, because you're hearing an opt-out for Chris Paul. Now, I, when I say that, I, I think the, uh, you know, the common, common thinking turns to, oh, he just wants more money. And he'll get more money, but not necessarily in the course of this year or you know, next season specifically. I, I think it'd be more about, I want to lock in additional years to my career it's about Correct. establishing the end game of my career so that yes. I'm not sitting here on a one-year contract unknown about my future. If this is where I'm going to be for the next, I guess, three, don't you think it'd be a two plus one? Most I, I can't see it going more than two plus one at his age. Um, guaranteeing him two years, giving him the option on year three at age 38, 39. Um, I think that makes sense for everybody. It sort of aligns nicely with Booker. It aligns a little bit with Aiton in terms of what he might extend into. And certainly the Bridges contract. And you mentioned Crowder's got two left as well. So opting out, probably dropping his salary three to $4 million this year, right? Because of the the way the cap is working. His, but, his 2021 wait. salary would drop, right? Yes, it would. And with that saying, you, you made a great point. Dropping three or four million dollars, but extending a year or two of Helps guaranteed everyone. contract, it, it it makes sense. Yeah, it just depends on does he want to sacrifice that three or four million for the long term, and if he opts out, he opens up the door of do I stay with Phoenix? Do I go somewhere else? If I do go somewhere else, he has Phoenix bounced has, around, hasn't he? <laughs> Phoenix has that opportunity to do a sign and trade yeah. with another team. So there, there are a lot more uh, variables if he does opt out. And it do, again, it does not mean he's going to necessarily leave the Phoenix Suns. It may mean I want to have longer sustain, sustainability with my contracts moving forward, as opposed to just being potentially one and done, you know, it, yeah, say, but say, yeah, but we're saying he's going to drop a couple million next year. But we're also saying, I mean, I just quickly did the math. A, a two plus one, a, a three-year extension would be about three for one twenty-six. So, yeah. so I think he's going to be okay in terms of you know a, a basketball mm-hmm. plus State Farm st- my money. He's going to be just okay in terms of uh, buying people some rounds. So, but a no-brainer to, to drop a couple of cap dollars next year and make sure that you can even add a depth piece, you know more cap space plus the plus the exceptions with a roster already locked in that's that's dangerous stuff that's really i mean you could essentially scott go and find a, a point guard to facilitate chris paul knowing he's going to be you know probably play less minutes in regular seasons over the next 3 seasons you know what i mean like you're going to want to bring in a chris paul a, a light 
for the next three seasons to supplement his minutes, to, to be able to manage him. He's going to get injured. He, that's part of his career. So in, in my opinion, if you can shave $3 million off his salary, use an exception and go and get yourself another point guard. There's options. We've talked about the free agents a little bit, and I know Keith Smith's going to do a deep dive into that soon for us, Scott. That seems like where you'd want to add some pieces to this team because everything else is kind of lock and key. So three for 126, essentially, a two plus one for Chris Paul, making him your leader over the next two years minimum. I think it's good news for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially if the Phoenix Suns can get to the promised land and, and well, let's get talk their, about it. Get Does that change things? What if they win? Does that change Chris Paul? Is he one of those guys that would walk away on top? I guess he, it's it's definitely a conversation to have. He's 36. It is. It's a conversation to have, but the competitor that he is, I mean, in the roster that yeah. is in, intact, like we just talked about. He's got to feel like he's, he, he's, ne- he's so necessary that he would be, le- you know, he would be tearing this thing apart. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Plus there's hey, 126 million on the table. <laughs> if you didn't look, t- take a guess career earnings for Chris Paul. Oh. this. Do you know where he ranks all time? Can you answer that question for me? I can give me okay. Five seconds. That might help me out a little bit here. It's got to be all time. He is fourth. Oh Jesus! Is, he, is, he, at, is he at two fifty yet? More. He's not a three yet. Almost. He's at two eighty something. Two ninety nine nine. So we're talking four hundred and twenty six million if he does the two plus one that I just talked about. Yeah, even if he just opts in to that 44 and that's it, yeah, three, he'll, be, he'll be at 340, 344. He'll be second all time behind LeBron. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, he certainly doesn't need it. And that I guess that's why I, I, I ask what I ask about. If you win it, do you walk away? But I just don't – I think he's too tied to this now. He's finally got a good situation. He, he had a decent situation in Houston. And then James Harden ran him the hell out of town. Then he did what he did in OKC. That was never going to be long term. This just seems like the perfect place to to plant your seed yeah. for the for the the twilight years, you know. Yeah, no, you, Monty Williams. You started yeah. with Monty Williams. You, you saw that hug at the end of the game. Like, there's a real connection yeah. there, you know. There is absolutely a real connection. Okay, well, let's just assume that he opts out, saves them three to four million of cap space, locks in probably a two plus one. And uh, they they run it back next year, no, regardless of where they are this year. I mean, this is already an overachievement, in my opinion. Even though they're the two seed, this is an overachievement, in my opinion. Let's talk about the team they just destroyed. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. You want to talk Yoki Joker at all here? Just frustrations. It is. It is frustrations, trying to do everything imaginable to succeed and not be swept and... Got the best of him. Kind of bummed that Murray's not here. Because well, I really and, think and, there'd, there'd be a whole different outlook to this team. Yeah, Obviously. I, I mean, he's I, a superstar. I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, that, that is one of the things moving into the offseason for Denver is 
continuing to be healthy. Yeah, I'm not they even sure they have to. I, I mean, we can get to it. Do they? They don't need to blow anything up here, right? I mean, no, getting Murray no, back think, is like getting a free agent back. It's like the Nets yes. with having Durant on the sideline and the Warriors with Clay Thompson. There's teams that they they pushed hard through a season here where they just were they had a run of bad luck, and this is Exhibit A. There's going to be changes. I mean, why don't you quickly take us through expiring contracts and cap holes and all that good stuff? You know, what kind of pieces could they lose, I guess, after they're you know being swept out here? Well, they can lose Paul Millsap. He's uh, has a cap hold of $19 million. Yeah, overpaid over the past couple, for sure. Yeah, yeah he has. Uh, JaVale McGee, who they traded for, he's going to have. A- I wanted more from him yesterday. I was really disappointed. Yeah, he made, he made some nice passes in certain instances, but you're right. Yeah, but you're, he he's there to, to guard the paint. He's there to plug up that paint and he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. Even with old Chris Paul coming down. The lane. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you have Austin rivers who they signed as a rest of season contract on end of April. And so he, I mean, they, they can have his rights. They can sign him to a minimum. Austin rivers can go and do what he needs to somewhere else. Um, but as a whole, this roster is, pretty yeah pretty solid uh, and and that's why i say they need to continue to be healthy because with jamal murray uh will barton he has a player option but he was he had some hamstring issues this year i still think and, he opts out it's a weird free agency yeah and again some of these player options when they opt out again if a team really covets that position that player that sign and trade is there if it works out and they don't want to necessarily be hard capped. So the, the, the Denver Nuggets can yeah. definitely upgrade their roster it, it, to some extent, but let's keep in mind what the outlook of the Denver Nuggets could be past the 2021-22 season. Jokic having MVP, he locked up the fact that he could sign a Supermax extension. Yeah, give in us the, the numbers, man. They're offseason. huge. Give us those numbers. Yeah, it, it's it's five years. Um, or is it two six two hundred two hundred and forty six forty seven million dollars, and and that's that's at the one twenty one and a half million cap that the league originally had set. Hmm. So it, you could have that locked up, and that's with a starting salary of forty two. And that's may- in addition to the sixty five million he already has locked up on this contract currently, right? Right, and that and that wouldn't kick in until the twenty three season. So, so he still has yeah. Thirty one. If, if he extends, you're talking about over three hundred million in total salary locked in over seven years, right. over six yeah. years. Holy shit! Correct, shoot. correct. So you got him, Jamal Murray's extension. <laughs> he's got twenty twenty nine four twenty nine and a half that'll start in um, the twenty one season. Then you've got, or sorry, we're uh, he's already in you're that one extension, of that, but yeah. it'd be. Year, year two of that. Then you've got Aaron Gordon, who's at 16. He is extension eligible. Well, let's talk about eligible. him. Let's talk about him. Okay. You know, I, I don't, I don't like to make this an opinion show too much, but what did they get here? I mean, he looks disinterested. Is, is this just not a good fit for him? Does he like to be the man and he's being demoted to a role play? I, I, I don't know no, what to I, take with him. I, wh- what I know is that he's, he's got a $16.5 million salary next year that Denver can't, Denver can't pay that and get what they just got from Aaron Gordon. I, I mean, he can't be a role player at that price, in my opinion. This team is too good 
to be bleeding dollars in that regard. Is he a flip candidate? And is there a trade restriction on him? No, the trade restriction has been lifted because it was a. I think I loosely put him as a flip candidate then. I wonder if Keith has thoughts on that next time we have him on the show, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I'll make a note of that and we'll have to bring that up and see what he says. You know, his production has been lower um, over the past few seasons. They they traded for him for that defensive presence in the paint and and helping out with Jokic there. Um, You know, it's almost like they it's almost like they brought him in to do as like a direct compliment to what Michael Porter Jr. can't do or won't do. Michael Porter Jr. is your classic. I'm here for the offense. You know, I'm going to find my spot. Uh, you know, get me the ball when you, <laughs> you do the work. Give me the ball. I'll try to do my job. And he's been better at that. He's definitely been better this year. All right. But, and- but Aaron Gordon probably wants to be doing that and playing defense. And I don't think that's what Denver's asking him to do. And the fact that you're bringing up Gordon with Porter Jr. is spot on because, as I mentioned, Gordon has is veteran extension eligible. Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. is rookie extension eligible this offseason too, which he could sign the max and um, you Did know he do enough. Or different question: I, I, I Can these two the live together long? You know, for the next couple of years. Maybe that's the question to ask. I think the back end of this season, Michael Porter Jr. had raised his his caliber of playing to an all-star level. Yeah. And uh, Zach loaded a piece uh, in regards to this. And I, I think uh, he has shown his growth that Denver is would most likely put their stock in the Michael Porter Jr. moving forward. Because remember, they drafted him, I think he was, what, 15th? He slid down because of the, the back injury. Sure, which he's so, still dealing with. Which, which he's still doing with. So do you so do you extend Michael Porter Jr. to a max extension and just see what happens? Do you go the route of like a Jalen Brown where it was not a maximum extension, but you throw in some incentives there? Do you go a, a Joel Embiid situation yeah. where you, you extend him, but you put in those injury metrics Absolutely, that you, you, do. you have guaranteed outs based on if this back is a reoccurring or a season ending or a career ending injury, then I'd build in injury escalators. To- I'd build in all NBA escalators, all, you know, sh- you know, shoot, uh, uh, shooting champ escalators, things like that. All those things you can do now. Um, all right. I'll, I'll just give you my thoughts. I think, well, let me, let me turn this back on you a little bit because let's assume, I, I just don't know if this Denver team can, can be as consistently good year in year out. Like some of these other franchises can be I, at some point, this team's going to take a step back, even with Joker. It's just going to happen. Yes, like also at some point he's going to be injured. <laughs> it's going to happen. And when he's injured, where is this franchise? Are they even average? So what is better from a business standpoint for Denver? Is it better to have Aaron Gordon on an expiring contract? Or should you just kind of recklessly extend him and have him under term knowing you still may trade him? What what do teams want? Do teams want to be able to ship out guys in order to trade match? Or would they rather have an expiring contract that they can have control of, they can retain his rights, 
you understand what I'm saying? Like, and maybe it's a different answer for Gordon versus Michael Porter Jr. Because look, you're going to hear Porter Jr. trade talk. You're going to hear it because even though he took steps forward, this has been a guy every off season that it's been, well, I'm not sure he's going to get to where they need to be on this team. Maybe he needs to go and find, you know, a Kawhi to play with or somebody like that. More of a facilitator guard play than what Jokic is, even though Jokic is one of the best passers in the history of the game. Who is more likely traded and should they extend that player first? Two-part question. I'll say Aaron Gordon is more likely to be traded. A, because of the $16 million is good for matching. And if you can find another player around that, that is maybe a better fit, better caliber to get Denver over that hump that they need, then you move him. And B, it's an expiring so if you keep the expiring, that's maybe more incentive at the trade deadline as we get closer to force a movement. So is that what you're thinking then? They keep him for the season and, and see if he can figure things out and, and if that's not, he's a I, trade deadline candidate? That is what I would do because knowing he's an expiring, you can either move him at the trade deadline or, again, you still retain his rights so you can sign him in the offseason to rights if you want to – sign him to a higher value, you'd have his bird rights or you could facilitate the sign and trade, or he just goes off into the sunset somewhere else. And you, you open up some space depending on where your roster is. Again, we just talked about how Joker is going to have money on the books. Murray's going to have money on the books. They had extended Monty Morris, who's going to already have guaranteed money on the books. If you extend Michael Porter Jr. and you put your stock in him thinking, we like what we saw at the end of this season. We want to lock him up and know where our books are going to be out of four players moving forward. Then I think you take your chances with not extending Aaron Gordon. If you feel as a Denver Nuggets organization that he really fit well, you feel that there is a reason that he just needs more time and you want to do the extension, then so be it. But I think from my standpoint, you wait and see and and go from there. I'd extend Porter Jr. That's what I'd do. That'd be my big offseason move. With all of the incentives in there, uh, injury protections, whatever you have to do to make sure that you're covered but also – pay him if he does well, a la Joel Embiid, then then you do so. Yep. Um, and if you throw in the incentives that you say, they may have to go the Jalen Brown route where it's not a full max, but if he does get the incentives, then he can get to the max. So it, it I think it's going to be a toss between the two. I agree. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the, I think Will Barton's a real question mark to come back. He's a hell of a player. I, I like I like watching him on the court. I'm not sure they can make that work financially if he opts out. I really don't. I think that's a, that's one of those players that could become a preeminent free agent and he knows it and his agent knows it. Yes. And yes. if he's healthy, yes, he's going to be 30 next year, but that's a team that contenders will be looking at. Not that Denver isn't one. And, you know, maybe I'm spitting, spitting a lot of idiocy here and they're going to just bring him back and, and, and roll with what they've had for the past two seasons or so. But he, he, to me, identifies as the piece that would be, that could be lost off this roster, knowing that Murray's back, knowing that Porter Jr. is going to be expected to take another step forward. 
and that Monte Morris took a huge step forward, in my opinion. I mean, that's I, that's one of the, I, the worst parts of yesterday's game was that seeing him on the sideline icing up, not being able to contribute. I didn't think Denver had a chance when I saw that. Yeah, I agree. Barton is the piece that is the highest percentage chance of being moved. Yeah. But whether he is he si- a sign and trade guy. Wait, can you sign and trade a guy who opts out of his player option? Yeah, because he comes a, a free agent. But you still, still have, have the rights to him. You still have the rights. He's a guy that was talked about at the trade deadline that teams are potentially going to look to you know trade for. So I think he is the highest percentage of movement off this roster. Sure. And then, like we just said, mo- moving forward, they have a lot of pieces that they like. You know, the Capanzo piece. They yeah. they have some other non guarantees that they can move from and, and go from there. But the consistency of this team underproducing in the playoffs, they've they've got to do something. I think they they tried with the Aaron Gordon move. I, I think that they they've got to make another move. Ala, like a Chris Paul, you know, someone that is going to raise the level of Murray and a, a, mm-hmm. like you said off the top with Denver here. If Murray was in. It was here as the point guard going up against Chris Paul. I oh, think yeah. we all missed would have out. had a completely different situation as far as the matchup. But having Murray and Jokic and whoever else you want to call that 2.5 or third can you superstar. Expect, can you expect Porter Jr. to be that third star next I, I year? And if you can't, that's why the trade talks will be here. If Because that, the rest of the team is ready to win championships. Joker and Murray are, are two pieces that, that can win a championship, but you need the third. We've seen, look, look right. it, I'm not but, gonna talk Nets, but we're gonna talk, you know, that, that's the but, conversation here. But if Michael Porter Jr. signs the extension. Well, if they offer it to him, they're assuming he's gonna be that third star, right? They're assuming he's gonna be that third star and he's trade restricted for a year. Good so point, he great comes, point. He comes off the trade talk whatsoever. If he does, if they do not extend him, which I, I, I'm assuming that they will extend him, but let's for hypothetical purposes say he doesn't get an extension and he goes into the final year of his contract, he'll be a restricted free agent. So that opens up the possibility of he's restricted. They give him a qualifying offer. He it's sort of like a Luka Doncic situation that Keith did a, a great piece on. He could sign that qualifying offer and then go into unrestricted free agency. He could uh, get matching a a contract from another team and Denver would have the right to match it. Yep. So there are those aspects where Denver could say, all right, we're not sold yet. Let's see what his market value might be. If we let him go to restrictive free agency, or do you feel that he has grown enough within the last two months of the regular season plus the postseason? to solidify we're going to give him the extension we think he is our third guy is porter jr really a power forward i mean that's how you know our site and many of the sites kind of reference him or is he more like a small forward who's almost kind of like a shooting he's almost a two at this point sometimes right yeah he he likes to shoot the three that's for sure the reason i ask is i'm starting to think about all these teams and even these contenders that position seems lost right now it seems like that I'm not really a big man and I'm not really the shooting guard and I'm kind of just being asked to be, uh, you know, sit on a wing that we're not supposed to shoot from anyway. <laughs> and, 
If you think about it, right? If you think about Kuzma, even John Collins and Gordon, and to some degree Porter Jr., who who does play in the paint a little bit now, um, and you can go across the league. Even Siakam had a weird year. He's a center slash power forward. You know, Joker plays on the top of the three point line. That's where he starts his offense. So he he's not in this conversation. But just that not a true big guy, not a true small guy, you know, player in the league. I'm starting to wonder if the analytical game that that basketball has transformed into is sort of playing that position out. And, you know, maybe it's not Aaron Gordon's fault that he's lost on this team. This team doesn't play anything naturally. I mean, you've got, like I said, you've got Joker dribbling up, doing 180s, running pick and rolls, you know, 25, 30 feet away. And that's how, so what is Aaron Gordon supposed to do? You know, just sit there and wait for the rebound? I wonder if that's going to become a trend, not only with production and paychecks, but in team building. You know, do we even need this player? You know, if we've got Russell Wilson getting, or excuse me, Russell Westbrook getting 20 boards a game because that's where rebounds are going now and he knows it and and more point guards and, and outside players are going to start to identify this. I just wonder if positionally speaking, that's going to become a devalued situation because of just how the game is, is being played right now. Or, you know, will the Chris Pauls of the world maybe bring things back to center things, center a little bit more and, and bring the inside game back to some degree. I don't think it's a small point to be made. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, does Kuzma have a role next year? Does Aaron Gordon have a role next year? Does Evan Fournier have a role next year in Boston? You know, is John Collins going to be long for Atlanta, even though he's a nice player? Or is that is that a guy who's going to be on the trade trade block this year? We, he was a huge deadline candidate. I, I think that teams are just devaluing those guys right now because they have to, because they don't produce, they, they don't translate into wins. Fair enough. Right. And the fact of, what it what position is a position at this oh, yeah. point in the NBA game? Like <laughs> yeah. I, as you're talking, I'm going through all these different rosters and I see power forward for him. And basketball reference has him as a small forward. A couple other sites have him as a small forward. So it's like, how do you it, it, it's almost to the point where you're either a guard, a forward, or a center, and, and and that's it, or a combination, sort of like soccer, when you go and look at rosters for Sure. For players, they're either uh, a striker, a, a forward midfield, yeah. or a defensive midfield. It, 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 we're we to that. And it's sort of you and I had a conversation offline when this all NBA voting was happening at the end of the season, where you could vote for one player yeah. at the center position, but you could vote for the same player by a different voter at the forward position. Yeah, Luca could be and, one of three positions in an all NBA. So. Roster, right? it, it's like how do you value yeah, right if they don't even, if they don't even know how to positionalize these guys then why should we yes. and, exactly. and i think my point is i think they're as confused with this as maybe some of the analysts are and the researchers are and the people who follow the tape and, and the stats and i just wonder i'm starting i think i'm starting to see a little trend there with that player specifically and i always put my my money hat out when i'm looking at stuff like that and i've seen it in football and baseball too much when your role starts to diminish and you're your scoreboard stats start to diminish because of it. That's when dollars start to drop. So I just, I worry for the Kuzma's, now Kuzma was extended. I worry for Aaron Gordon's next chapter. You know, if he's, if he, I think that's maybe part of his misery is he knows if he's not a, a major player on this roster and he's eyeing an expiring contract, if he's asked to walk, you know, if he's asked to go somewhere else and his role becomes this sort of jaded 
in the middle player, that's not good news contractually speaking. So it's something to keep an eye on is, is, is that middleman sort of being squeezed out right now on the court and then in, in the contract scenario as well. Anything else with this Denver team, Scott? I think we're, we're hoping and wishing for big moves because of what we do for a living, but I don't think this team's going to do too much. I really don't. I don't either. I mean, there's I a think- world where they make major moves. Like, you know, we talked about a McCollum move last, last time, mm-hmm. you know, to Dallas. This is a McCollum team. I mean, that'd be a phenomenal third piece to Murray and Jokic. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if Portland and Denver are going to play ball together. That wouldn't make any sense. I, I think my only question moving forward with this team outside of what we just talked about was, do they retain Malone after the comments that had been made during oh, nice this, point. During this uh, series here? Because ha- has he f- caused a rift or a, a fracture within himself and the players on the roster saying they quit, they're soft, everything else that he's had alluded to, or it was just in the moment and internally he had talked to the team and they're good moving forward. That That's my only question is what does the Denver Nuggets do with the head coaching position? Do, do they retain him and move forward and, and see where it goes, give him another year or do they move on and go from there? I, I haven't liked him for other opportunities and I know he's being t- linked to a few right now. This roster right now, this this really high pick and roll situation that they're running in Denver, that's a Mike D'Antoni situation. That's yes. a, that's an old school Phoenix Mike D'Antoni well, it, kind of system, and, and I could see that, that being an option. That is a great point, especially with him having helped the Nets and how the Nets have yeah. you know have succeeded or how he did succeed in Houston. Uh, yeah, if they that is probably a name that you will start popping up. I think up. so. I think you're right. That might be the big move is a coach change here. I think that's even though it's so unfair with the Murray injury, but yeah, he, it is. what he said publicly really irks some people, and you know, not getting it done here again with uh, just an explosion here to, to finish it off with with Joker throwing punches. I, I something's going to shake up for sure, and that's probably the easiest way to do it. All right, good stuff. We'll be tracking this Brooklyn series for sure. There's plenty of uh, plenty to watch, plenty to discuss, plenty to analyze. It's uh, I'll say this and get out of here. You know, maybe that regular season where we thought they were just kind of pumping the brakes and taking it easy. You know, maybe they just kind of knew this was coming. Maybe they they knew that they were at the points of their career, these big three, that they just an injury was inevitable. Now there's bad luck with Kyrie stepping on on feet, but you know that's part of the game. But Harden's hamstring's been in and out all year, you know. I I think that was a ticking time bomb, unfortunately. Any thoughts there? Can Durant do this by himself? <laughs> yes, if he's spot on. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I don't think so. Because we've we've seen at the beginning of the season, the Brooklyn Nets were epically bad on defense. And if they go back to that epically bad defense. Yeah. Milwaukee is going to figure out. I don't know, what man, they have in the last year. they're playing the right team right now, in my opinion, because uh, Milwaukee's only found life here because they've made threes and that works. Obviously that's what the analytics want you to do. But if they don't make those threes, they're Houston to me. If they start missing, 
I don't think they can win. I don't, I don't think they can run a game through Giannis and win, even with this Brooklyn Nets roster the way they are. I'll tell you what I'm going to be looking for. And you mentioned D'Antoni sitting on that bench. I'm going to be looking for Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, high pick and roll game for over the next two, two games if we, if we get two more. I, I, I'm, I'm not joking. I think that's exactly how you start to beat this Milwaukee team with two big guys. I mean, Blake has been resuscitated. <laughs> His role well, is as big as it's ever been, you know, in the past three, four years. And now it's going to have to be even bigger. Can I go down that road real quick? I don't care. I mean, you, like, you going buy out on me here? No, I'm not going necessarily buy out. I, I'm going the route of Blake Griffin, how everyone thought his – he, he was washed up. He didn't have anything left. Do you think there was, between him and his agent, something sure. calculated where they said, you need to look like you're horrible so you do get that buyout <laughs> so you can get off of that Detroit team? See, but I don't, did he even need to? Want? Couldn't he just get in front of a microphone or, or get on Instagram and say, Detroit, it's been great. I'm done, though. I, I mean, that's what players are doing now. Just get me out of here, Detroit. I'm done. So yeah, yes, but, yes, possibly, but there's just easier ways to do it now, you know? Yeah, but then he doesn't have blood on his hands from the standpoint of the media, the team relations, yeah. the, the you know, because that's all that they Oh, this is a way better story ever. that he's gone from trash to a legitimate he, player again. But in, in me watching this, you know, a lot of these buyouts fizzle out, you know, the Aldridge situation fizzled out, but internally the the way blake has played and everyone's like oh my gosh he's doing so well he's he's got a, this resurgence part of me wants to say this was part of the acting plan that he had to get out of detroit because he a didn't want to go there in the trade he was blindsided mm -hmm. he was fed up and just wanted to go wherever he wanted to go and he just played as bare minimum as he could. And then they Detroit finally got to a point where they were like, we, we can't play. We got to play some of our other guys and then just bought them out with whatever was left knowing I do have stuff in the tank. Yeah. I'm going to go to a team that I'm going to pick and it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets and look, Oh, he has miraculously has all these capabilities back. I, I, think, I think it's think probably simpler than that. I think it's, you know, that Detroit team was so defunct and so, you know, in order for that team to win, Blake Griffin would have had to have been at a LeBron James minutes production level. I mean, it, it would have been put me on my, put, you know, put this team on my back. Jeremy Grant to some degree, too. That's a nice signing for a bad team, honestly. But I, I think internally, Blake Griffin knew I cannot be that guy. I, I, I'm not that guy. Well, I'll be, I'm going to be injured, I'm I'm be injured in a week and a half if I try to put this team on my back and, and be a superstar again. He gets to Brooklyn. He knows he's not going to be asked to do that. He knows that if he gives eight to 10 minutes of max effort, that'll be enough for this team, you know? And But now, though, Scott, he's, he's going to be asked to give 30 because it's going to be him and Kevin Durant and some role players. And I, I, this is the test to me. This is the test of is he really back? Is he, does he right. really have a, a full game worth of, you know, I'm the second best guy in the court in him. That's when we'll know. That's when we'll know he was, he was, he was, he had his foot on the brake in Detroit, as you're saying to some degree. And he just, he was limited himself because he knew specifically speaking, his body couldn't take it over a 72 game season. Whereas now there's a little bit shorter of a window and there's a lot on the line.
you, you know, the, there was nothing on the line in Detroit. Nothing. Nothing to play for. No, and the fact of who they were putting around him on the roster, we we talked yeah. about it last offseason. What, what is Detroit doing? They're acquiring all these big guys. and <laughs> I think he saw the writing on the wall that I am never going to get deep into the playoffs or win a championship on this Detroit roster. Sure. What do I have to do to facilitate myself to keep in the good via the media – but get myself All out right. of here. So I'll buy it. So stay healthy, but also stay in good graces. Yes. Don't go out there and be a James Harden and quit on your team and gain 25 pounds and all that stuff. Okay. I'll buy that. Just kind of ride it out. And then when the time comes, we, you know, we, we push the envelope and, and we get that buyout and then we go from there. Yeah, I can and, see and that. He, and he knew no team was going to trade for him. Him and his agent, oh, they God, probably no. calculated and put the tea leaves out there. They knew at the beginning of the season that this was not going to, they, because we had been talking about Blake Griffin getting traded for since December, January. So they knew he wasn't going to get traded. So we're just going to buy our time and then go. We shall go see. The- He's got a big job ahead of him for sure. If he can be Durant's number two. Got some two non NBA uh, money facts. If you're He's interested. So Kyle Larson won the NASCAR all-star yep. he won one million dollars yesterday he did good finish too nice pass on the outside that hendrix team is unbelievable right now whatever they've got moving on you going then, you going joker you going the other joker on this one and then i'm going the other joker <laughs> made 4.17 million dollars winning the french open one yep. one grand slam behind federer and nadal now so yeah he's he's done it twice now right Yes. He's done the he's done the the Grand Slam, all four winning all four twice, which is yes. insane. Career earnings on court: Novak Djokovic one forty nine point seven, number one all time. Roger Federer one hundred and thirty million, number two. Rafa Nadal one hundred and twenty five million, number three. Pretty spoiled time in men's oh, tennis. I, I mean, I, this I, is this is pretty great stuff. I, love him or hate him, you know, Novak has his. He gives you a reason for both, I think, <laughs> at times. And he's yeah, certainly he's not no the uh, he's not the gentleman that, that that Federer and Nadal are, but he is lethal. And he had no business winning yesterday. None. He was dead to rights after two sets. And he willed himself back. That was pure uh pure talent and pure heart. So damn, right? Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. We we have been massively spoiled because there is no one active even close to these three we've just seen the dominance and and it got me thinking even if one of these tennis players was not here what would the landscape of tennis have been for the last 20 years because you know they have just dominated every major to the utmost and, and to the same extent on the women's side i mean well it's, Serena has it's a little dominated. soccer it's a little soccery now in terms of America. I mean, men's American tennis is absolute garbage right now. Yes. <laughs> as bad as, as it's ever been. And, you know, nice players out there, but nobody who can really contend. And the women couldn't be more opposite. I mean, there are five U.S. women right now who are consistently in these majors, late in these majors. And that's how I feel about the soccer programs. I mean, I watch, obviously, the U.S. women's national team. They're the best in the world. They are toying with teams. They put rosters out. They put starting 11s out there right now that are just basically toying with the other teams. 
and uh, and you know the U.S. men again eliminated from the Olympics, trying to make the World Cup. I don't. I think that's a long shot right now, even though they had a nice victory locally here recently. Those two sports are aligned for me in terms of men versus women. And uh, there's a long road back for men's American tennis. Long road back. So enjoy these three while we have them. I think all three are probably in the twilight years. And I don't know where we go from here in men's tennis. Yeah, I don't either. Serena, she in all-time tennis history, (laughs) she would be fourth, including men. With earnings? She would be fourth. With earnings. She's right behind Nadal, huh? She's at 94, almost $94.5 million career earnings. That's pretty damn cool to know. Yeah, and then Venus, women, Venus is number two down to, at 42. <sighs> but pr- pretty impressive that all-time tennis playing overall, double singles, everything, she is fourth out of everybody. Pretty impressive. Really awesome. Good stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for all this news and 40% off your first year subscription. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment providing financial aid, programs, and help for pre- and post-draft candidates in the NBA and the NFL. MorganStanley.com slash GSE. Get you started there today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. (laughs) 